We are looking at verses 35 uh, to 41. Mark chapter 4 at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. There is a, a logic or a language uh, to our emotions, to our feelings. Ed Welch uh, is a counselor, and amongst many counselors, he makes that point that our feelings have a language to them. They, they are speaking and they're telling us something. And th for that reason, they're important for us to understand and to reflect on. For instance, our anger is saying something. Anger oftentimes is speaking and it's saying, you are wrong. That what has happened is something that is wrong and it is anger that is directed at someone's own actions, their choices. Similarly, uh, embarrassment and shame also are a language. They are saying something. They are saying, I am wrong. I did something that I shouldn't have done. But fear is another one of those feelings that is speaking. Uh, fear itself says something. And when we think about it, fear is saying, I am in danger. And amongst other things, I am needy. And this morning we are turning to a passage of uh, God's word where the disciples are in great fear, where they recognize that they are in danger, where they recognize that they are uh, needy. They sense their own vulnerability. And we're looking at the miracle of Jesus when he calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4. And this is a, a miracle that is recorded for us in uh, all of the synoptic gospels. That is, it's there in Matthew, it's there in Mark, it's there in Luke. And so for those who were eyewitnesses to this miracle, it is something that they all wanted to uh, draw attention to and to have uh, passed down uh, to the church. But as we're looking at it, we want to see that because Christ has come to deliver us from the threat of death, uh, we are to trust in him. And we want to look at this in three thoughts. Uh, we want to look at the danger, the deliverance, and the discovery. And we want to look at it in those three thoughts uh, for a reason. It's because Mark himself, as Mark is giving us this account of what took place on the Lake of Galilee, Mark himself describes it in those three ways. As you read through it, you can see in your own text that Mark uses a certain key word. It's the word great. 
Mark uses the word great to describe the storm. A great windstorm rose up. He uses the word great to describe the effect of Jesus' miracle. There was a great calm. And then he uses the word great to respond to describe the response of the disciples. There was a great fear. And so this morning we're looking at those three thoughts. We're looking at a great danger uh, that had uh, risen up in the storm. We're looking at the great deliverance that Jesus brings about by declaring those words, peace be still. And we're looking at uh, the great discovery, what the disciples are faced with as a result. Well, first, we're looking at the danger of the storm itself. Jesus had been teaching the crowd beside the sea. If you go back to the beginning of this chapter, it tells us that he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now in verse 35, uh, it is a continuation of that day. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So Jesus now is completing his day of teaching, and he instructs his disciples that it's time to cross over the Sea of Galilee, or to cross over the Lake of Galilee, and to go to the other side. They're moving eastward, and we'll, as we come to Mark 5, we realize that they're moving to the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, so uh, a quieter region. Uh, but as Jesus is making that instruction, he's telling them to cross over uh, the lake. The Lake of Galilee is 21 kilometers long, and it is 13 kilometers wide. And so it is a, a large body of water. And Mark tells us that not only was Jesus on the boat, but we are told that as they crossed over to the other side, that there were other boats with him. Those may be representative of the other disciples uh, who were also accompanying Jesus in his ministry, that larger circle uh, who were with Jesus. But we're told that a great windstorm rose up over the Sea of Galilee. And this, the sea or the Lake of Galilee was known for sudden surges or sudden storms rising up. And there was a reason for that. It's because of the location of uh, of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is located 700 feet below sea level, and it is surrounded by steep hills and mountains. And between those mountains, you have uh, the wind uh, funneling in, either from the west, the Mediterranean Sea from the west, or from the, the desert in the east. But as the wind comes through these uh, valleys, it really is funneling in and creating a surge. It's creating a great uh, uh, storm as a result. And it could uh, create not only violent downdrafts, but great waves. And Mark tells us here uh, that this great windstorm is something that we can understand. He gives two descriptions of the storm in these verses. The first is uh, that he tells us that the waves were breaking in on the boat. So they, they move over in verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in on the boat. We could also translate that, and the waves were falling onto the boat. 
So these waves were not just little waves that were rocking the boat. These were waves that were greater than the boat that were crashing down on top of the boat. It's interesting, archaeologists, uh, back in 1986, they discovered a boat uh, that they, after dating it, believed that it comes from this time period in history. And uh, that being the case, it is safe to assume that the boat that they did discover would be representative of the kind of boats that would have been used uh, by the disciples and would have been uh, probably very similar to the boat that is being referenced here. The boat that was discovered back in 1986 was 27 feet long. So that gives us something of a picture of the boat. But what is more interesting is not the length of the boat, but it's the height of the boat. The sides of the boat were only four and a half feet high. And so when it says here that the waves were breaking into the boat, that the waves were falling onto the boat, it's highlighting for us something that the waves are over top of the boat and crashing down onto the boat. So this is a great uh, storm that is coming down on the fishermen, on the disciples. But the second description is, is that the boat was filling up. It tells us there that the boat, it was breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The waves are overpowering the boat. Uh, the water is coming in and is filling up the boat and therefore it is threatening to sink the boat. So this is a great windstorm uh, that is causing uh, a very dangerous situation. We also see something of the danger of the situation by the way that the disciples themselves react to it. It says there in verse 38 uh, that Jesus was asleep at the stern of the boat, that is at the back of the boat. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That, that spells for us the, the urgency of the disciples. They are themselves feeling like their very lives are threatened. And so they are coming to Jesus in their desperation. Uh, they themselves, many of those uh, disciples, you remember, were fishermen. Uh, disciples like Peter uh, and James and John, they were fishermen. And so they themselves are amongst this company and these disciples that are coming to Jesus, imploring him about the danger that they were in. But it's interesting that we're told that Jesus was asleep. Uh, Jesus had been teaching, uh, it seems, all day. Uh, but what it is strikingly highlighting for us is something about the person of Jesus. That like any other human being, Jesus needed sleep. That Jesus got tired. And that Jesus would go to sleep. It's highlighting for us the full humanity of Jesus. He didn't just have the, the shape of a human. He didn't just look human but he was fully human and that he was subject to all the uh, uh, capacities of a human. And as the writer of Hebrews says, he was like us in every way except without sin. So here we are given this little detail that we might easily pass over, but it's actually giving us an understanding about the person of Jesus. He is fully human. He, he doesn't fake the humanity. He is someone who was asleep. And so we are told that he, he was at the back of the boat having a sleep during this storm. 
But there's something else that we can see in this as well. The fact that Jesus is able to go to sleep uh, highlights for us something of the importance of sleep. Sleep is a gift from God. It is a blessing from God that we can lie down and to find rest and to be refreshed in sleep. The psalmist says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The book of Proverbs says we are to, take, uh, to keep wisdom, and if we do, when we lie down, we will not be afraid. Uh, your sleep will be sweet. So sleep is something that uh, is a blessing. Oftentimes, uh, many times, the troubles and the cares and the issues of life can weigh on us. And sometimes we may find ourselves even losing the ability to sleep because we are, we are anxiously thinking about all the issues that are coming upon us, the situations that we're facing. And uh, when we don't sleep, we, we're deprived of uh, our strength and our vitality. But when we're able to sleep, when we're able to lie down and to entrust our cares to God, it is a sweet thing, as the book of Proverbs is saying. And so here, rather than anxiously mulling over things endlessly, uh, uh, we are being given a picture of the beauty or the, the gift of being able to simply uh, rest and uh, to find sleep. And so Jesus here, as someone who takes on a full humanity, is asleep. He is able to rest, and he's resting even during this storm. But the disciples come to Jesus and they awake him in this desperate way saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're afraid, but they're afraid because their very lives are in danger. Sometimes we want to put on a, a tough front. We want to act like nothing makes us afraid. When we're young, we have that gusto where we say, I'm not afraid of anything. But we're creatures, and we're, as Ed Welch would go on to say, we're, we're needy by design. We are vulnerable to all sorts of things, and so fear is something that is part of our life, that rather than ignoring the fact that things can make us afraid, rather than ignoring the fact that there are dangers and troubles in life, we are to turn to God with our troubles. We are to acknowledge that we are afraid of things, but we're to respond to our fears in a godly way. That's what the psalmist was saying there in Psalm 107. If you have a chance to look at it up, you can see that the, the psalm is celebrating that there are many things in life that cause us uh, to be afraid. And the psalmist gives different uh, analogies uh, to highlight that truth. But we are to turn to God. We're to cry to the Lord for help in our time of need. And so when we do uh, sense our own fears, when we do sense our own dangers, rather than living independently or ignoring our own vulnerability, it should be the cause, it should be the reason why we turn to God, that we are looking to God, recognizing the dangers that we face, that we're vulnerable that there are things that are more uh, powerful than ourselves. And so the disciples are in a dangerous situation, uh, a great storm that threatens to take their life. But then we're told about a great deliverance. In verse 39, Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind. He tells the wind uh, to be silent. And we're told that there was a great uh, calm as a result. When the disciples woke up Jesus, Jesus didn't grab an oar and then start making his way uh, toward shore. He didn't try to row the boat toward shore. Neither did Jesus grab a bucket and start trying to pail out the water to try and save their lives. Jesus did something very different. The disciples turned to Jesus, looking for Jesus to do something, and the something that Jesus does is he speaks to the sea. He speaks to the wind, and he commands it to be silent. He commands it to be still. And we are told that there was a great calm. Now, the Old Testament teaches us that God and God alone is sovereign over nature. The Lord himself says to Job, Thus, uh, who has said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. The psalmist in Psalm 107, it says, They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. So it's, it's a work of God to calm and to control the waters, to have authority over nature itself. But here, Jesus is the one who commands the seas to be still. And we're told that the, sea, the storm itself uh, uh, ceases. There was a great calm. And this miracle of Jesus is highlighting something to us. It's testifying to us something of his, uh, his own divine nature, that he has the power and the authority of God. He is not only fully man, but he is also fully God. Now, maybe you're sitting there with an objection in your mind. Maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, couldn't it be possible that the storm just suddenly stopped? Uh, we did say that it was known that storms could suddenly uh, be stirred up over the Lake of Galilee. Couldn't it be true that they would just suddenly stop as well? Uh, just as they come uh, very quickly, couldn't they end very quickly? In other words, couldn't it be possible that it's just a coincidence that when Jesus spoke those words that the storm ended? Maybe we're reading too much into this. But the answer to that is no. No, it's not possible that this is simply a coincidence. And there's several factors that would support that conclusion. One, to think that it's merely a coincidence fails to deal with a factor of Jesus' own expectation. Again, Jesus did not uh, pick up that bucket of water and start pailing water out uh, of the boat. He, he didn't try to simply salvage the boat. Jesus had an expectation when his disciples came to him and said, do something, basically. We're going to die. Jesus' decision, his expectation was, is that by speaking to the sea, something would happen. That by commanding the water to be still, it would. And so to simply think it was a coincidence fails to take into mind the fact that Jesus had an expectation of what would happen by commanding the waters to be still. 
If you were in the boat and you saw the waves crashing down and everyone was filled with fear, what would you think of someone who was commanding the waters to be still other than that they thought that this is what was going to save them? So there's the factor of Jesus's expectation. But then secondly, there's the description of what actually happens. We're told that when Jesus rebuked the wind, that there was a great calm. But notice, it wasn't just that the winds immediately ceased. It is even that the waves are stilled. Think about that. We live along the coast. We have many storms that rise up. Uh, it could be windy. And when it is windy, the, the waters, the tides are going to be uh, troubled. Uh, they're going to be rough. The waters are going to be uh, uh, stirred up. And even after the wind dies down, there's going to be a period where the waves are still coming, where there is still, uh, the, the waters are still troubled for a period of time. But it says here that when Jesus rebuked the wind and when he told the sea to be still, there was a great calm. There is no more wind, but neither is there any more waves. And so to think that this is simply a coincidence fails to deal with what is being described here. It is a great calm, not simply a gentle, uh, the wind ceasing and things calming down. And then thirdly, there is the reaction of the disciples. Again, these men, many of them are professional fishermen. Many of these men have been doing this for a number of years. They are experienced fishermen and they know something about troubled waters and fishing on rough waters. They know what it's like. This is where they have lived. The Lake of Galilee is where they have done their vocation. And we're told that the reaction of these disciples was not uh, one of uh, indifference, but rather it was one of astonishment. So they are witnessing something that they look at as not ordinary, but rather as something miraculous. So Jesus here commands the waves to be still. And we are told there was a great uh, ceasing, a great calm. So there was the danger, there was the deliverance, but there's also uh, the great discovery. It tells us uh, that afterwards he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. You would think that after the disciples see the storm has ended, the source of their fear has gone away, that they would no longer be afraid. They were afraid of dying. They thought the storm was going to end their lives, but the storm is over. And so you would think that these men now would no longer be afraid. But instead, it tells us that they were filled with great fear. Their fear has not subsided. Their fear has rather intensified. Why is that? It's because these men now recognize that they're standing in the presence of someone who has the ability, who has the power to command the seas. With the power of his word, he has authority over nature. That suddenly these men are recognizing that the presence of God is in their midst. And that they are suddenly 
confronted with God himself. And they're looking at themselves in light of and in relation to God. And it fills them with fear because they know that they are accountable to God. And they sense their own unworthiness. They sense their own depravity. And so they are filled with fear as a result. But Jesus here tells them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What was this miracle all about? Yes, Jesus saved their lives, but Jesus was doing more than simply saving their lives. Jesus is always revealing something about himself in his miracles. And in this miracle, Jesus is highlighting, he's revealing that he not only has come to deliver them from physical death, but he's come to deliver them from spiritual death. He has come to deliver them from what threatens them most greatly, which is their sin. And he does that ultimately in his life and death and resurrection. That he was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. That in him we can have life uh, with God and we can be restored with God. Because of who he is as the eternal son of the father, he is able to rescue us from eternal death. And so as uh, uh, this miracle takes place, it reveals his work as that of deliverance from death. As much as we may sense our own danger when our physical life is threatened, our greatest danger is the danger of spiritual death on account of our sin. But Jesus' question there, what does he say? Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you not yet understand? Or as uh, one translation says, how is it that you do not yet have faith? These disciples are those who have been entrusted with the secrets of the kingdom of God, and yet these disciples still don't have everything all together yet. They're learning But Jesus is expecting them to start putting things together, to live applying God's truth to the way that they face their situations. Jesus wants them to understand that the one who has authority over the seas is the very same one who is able to deliver them from their sin, who is able to deliver them from death. And so Jesus is saying, why are you afraid? You have every reason to have faith because it is I who have all authority and I have come to deliver you from death and so Jesus himself is the one who comes to bring a great calm the effect of Jesus's work here his miracle was is that there was a great calm and Jesus by his life and death and resurrection brings about a great calm As it says in Romans, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is peace. Instead of fear, instead of unsettlement, there is this knowledge of uh, being reconciled with God. So Jesus here is the one who brings deliverance. But Jesus also asks them uh, those questions He's wanting to impress upon them the importance of applying God's word themselves. In their neediness, they need to trust God to deliver them and to realize God's deliverance in Christ. And so as you think about what Jesus is pressing on his disciples here, we have to ask ourselves, are we living in light of God's revelation? Do we yet now understand, not just that Jesus did a miracle, 
but that who Jesus is, and therefore we should live trusting in him rather than living in fear. That while there are many things that bring danger and trouble on us, the one who has all authority and power is the one uh, in whom we can turn to for help. Death reminds us of our own vulnerability. But if we are trusting in Christ, we don't need to fear because while we are not in control, God is. And as the psalmist says, he will bring his people to their desired haven. The miracle of the calming of the storm then forces us to think about who Jesus is and to see that what is even of a greater danger is of living without reference to God or remaining in our sin. But when we look to Christ to deliver us from our sins, then we can know a great calm with God ourselves. Let's pray.